is Bloomberg Surveillance. I am modestly bullish near term, but I'm bearish into immediate term. I expect the S&P to decline to a low double-digit percentage this year. I think if we're going to take long dollar positions, uh, I think the euro is the way to go right now. Short the euro, long the dollar. I don't think inflation's too low. The public doesn't care that core PCE inflation is 1.4%. They're oblivious to it. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, I'm Michael McKee. It's 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 8 p.m. in Shanghai, where G20 finance ministers and central bankers are meeting to save a world financial system that, today at least, doesn't look a whole lot like it needs saving. That said, there are a lot of problems out there for them to talk about and talk about them. We will on the show today. Bob Hormat's with us in just a moment. Uh, first, though, the markets giving no sign of imminent collapse. Even China's Shanghai Composite up a percentage point today. Every major index higher around the world. In Europe right now, the stock 600 up by four points, 1.1 percent. DAX is up 147 points, 1.6 percent. And here in the U.S., futures are significantly higher. S&P E-minis up 10 points right now, half a percent, half percent gain for Dow E-minis. They're up 82. NASDAQ 100 E-minis up 28 points, seven-tenths of a percent. Uh, bonds, little changed here or in Europe, although we have seen a bit of a gain for bonds in the last hour or so. Ten-year note yield, 1.73%, 1.18 for the five-year. Two-year is at 74 basis points. Deterioration in Europe, negative 55 basis points for the German two-year. Uh, if the G20 makes any news at all, it will affect currencies first, which may be why there's almost uh, no movement there. Everybody holding their breath, I guess, on currency trading desks. The yen, 112.81. The euro, 110.26. Uh, the pound, of course, uh, which has the overlay of Brexit, unchanged, 139.65 right now. Can I mention Richard Partington? Our, you may. Our funeral and obituary reporter in London. Uh, He's had to cover. Is writing about us? I hope not. (laughs) Lloyd's and RBS. Lloyd's and Uh, RBS this week. Yes. Are just ugly. Well, RBS pushing out its dividend. The stock down now uh, in London by uh, 7.9%. So they are having a bad day. Um, The good news, though, in general across the screen, uh, and this week shouldn't obscure the fact that you look at RBS and Standard Chartered, all those banks. from Shanghai to Syria, there are issues. Bob Hormetz, vice chairman of Kissinger Associates, prior to that, he served in a variety of government roles, most recently as undersecretary of state on the economic side. He also spent time as vice chairman of Goldman Sachs International. Bob, uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, from what, from your perch, if you were in the room, what's the biggest threat to the global financial system that the ministers are talking about? I think they're concerned about two things. One, there's a large amount of debt out there, and there's very little room in most countries, with the exception of China, for more fiscal stimulus. Monetary policy has been running on all cylinders. There's probably a little bit more room to stimulate through expansion of money growth. Uh, But they're worried in particular now with both of those much more limited in their scope and opportunity that there'll be a lot of currency volatility and competitive currency devaluation. And I think that's what they're going to focus on to try to avoid a rush to the bottom with countries devaluing their currencies because in many cases some will assume that's the default position. If you want to stimulate, you've got to lower your currency. I think that that is going to be one of the major concerns to get greater stability in the currency market and avoid massive competitive devaluations. Mark Carney, 
the head of the Bank of England started off the meeting today by saying that's a dumb idea to, you know, competitive devaluations, negative interest. Don't do it. He's right. We all lose. It's a race to the bottom. You've been in these rooms. Does anybody listen or do they go back home and say, yeah, 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 but we got to do what's important for us? Well, I think Mark's absolutely right. We work together at Goldman Sachs. He's extremely good and very visionary about the risks to the system. He really understands it quite well. And he's right to issue that warning. And in fact, uh, the Chinese central bank governor, Joe Shaochuan, has also made the point that China is not going to engage in competitive currency devaluation. I think that's one reason that currencies are so stable today. And that will be an important signal to the market what the Chinese do. It's certainly not the only country that has allowed its currency to go down. And, in fact, the markets are pushing it down. It's not the Chinese government. The Chinese government actually has been intervening to prevent it from going down further. But many governments now see that as their growth option, allow the currency to decline. And even if they don't want that as their primary option, when they see other currencies declining, they want theirs to decline as well so they don't lose competitive uh, strength. So it's a very complicated process, and you need a period of stability in currency markets. That would help a lot to increase stability or at least retain a certain measure of stability in financial markets. Uh, Bob Horvitz with Kissinger Associates. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance. Brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to bench the benchmarks. Consider active management and factor-based strategies. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high convictions. Bob Hormat's with us with a, a, a lot of different uh, perspective here. And I think, Bob, the, the major question uh, that, that people have is what we do with our foreign policy. Forgetting about the debates that we've had recently, what's the the projection? You learned a lot. Serving with Secretary Clinton, pivot was the word for a moment. There's different other ideas, including Henry Kissinger's New World Order that's out there. What is the Hormat's foreign policy prescription? Well, I think there are two things that are critically important, really three, but let me just focus on two. One is that we're seeing in Europe a rise of nationalistic uh, populist parties of the right and the left. And that divide in Europe has been accentuated by the refugee crisis. And what's happening is that individual countries are being divided by populist politics. Uh, It's weakening Europe. It's weakening European support for NATO. And Putin is playing on this by cozying up to all these uh, extremist or highly populist mm-hmm. parties. So the fragmentation or the risk of a fragmentation of Europe reduces Europe's own economic potential, but it also reduces Europe's role as a strong American ally. In the um, Well, this goes back to your book, The Price of Liberty. Yes. And you could take your book. You didn't write it about Europe. No. But if you wrote your book, The Price of Liberty, right now about Europe, what would you say? I would say that the risk is that after World War II, the U.S. wanted a strong economic Europe because that would strengthen growth Mm -hmm. for the United States, bigger trading partner, but also because it would strengthen Europe's cohesion. This is the Jean Monnet vision and also strengthen Europe's ability to resist Soviet pressures. Now we're seeing a weaker Europe and we're seeing Putin take advantage of this by developing these confrontational areas like Eastern Ukraine, but also trying to develop closer, cozier ties with Poland and Hungary and many other countries. So Europe is a risky situation from a geopolitical 
and from an economic perspective. The other is Asia, and the United States does need a strong TPP because it has to demonstrate that we want to play a continuing role in Asia, and a few Marines in Darwin, Australia, is not really the name of the game. The name of the game is a stronger economic presence. Good for American exports because that's the still single biggest area of growth, even though we don't pay as much attention to it now, but everything else going on, but it's still the single biggest area of growth. And we also need to demonstrate that we're going to be in Asia as a major player for a long period of time for political and for security reasons. So you need closer ties with our European allies and you need a stronger set of trade relations with with Asia, uh, particularly East Asia. And that's going to be something that should be uh, an important element of our foreign policy. Back, back uh, in the 90s, when you and I first got to know each other running around Asia uh, with the Asian financial right. crisis, Bob Rubin would walk into a room as the U.S. Treasury Secretary and say, basically, this is what's going to happen. We're the, we are the superpower, and this is what you guys need to do. Who runs the world like that now, or are we in Ian Bremmer's G0 world? We're not really in a G0 world, but we're in a multipolar world where a lot of countries have influence over the course of the global economy and what's going to happen. China, obviously, is playing a much greater role than it did in the latter part of the 1990s. The U.S. is still the preeminent influence in the G20 and other groups of When he of goes in nature. the room, do people listen to Jack Lew? I think they listen to him, but they also listen to Lo Jiwei and Zhou Shaochuan of China, and they listen to uh, leaders of other countries. India is playing a greater role. Uh, the ECB... Whereas, as I mentioned, Europe's having big problems. The ECB still is very important. And then you get individuals like Mark Carney who speak with a voice of credibility. So we're really in a multipolar world. The U.S. influence is considerably less than it was. And as you see from this Russian bond that they're issuing, the U.S. has said Americans should not underwrite it. And now you see the Europeans according to the Russians, are bidding to play in that game. So play in the game as well. Bob Hormat's with us. We'll continue our discussion. Of course, associated so much with his uh, Fletcher School at Tufts uh, University. He is with Kissinger Associates with an important Iran brief out. We'll talk to Bob Hormat's about uh, how we should treat Iran, some of the background that he brings to his important Atlantic Council report. Futures up nine, Dow futures up 70, the yield 1.73%. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Bob, uh, John Tucker, rather, with the latest news headlines. Well, Michael, a verbal free-for-all at last night's GOP debate on CNN. You tell me about this guy. This is what we're going to have. Here's the guy that inherited $200 million. If he hadn't inherited $200 million, you know where Donald Trump would be right now? Selling watches in Manhattan. Marco Rubio going after Donald Trump. Ted Cruz joining in, questioning the frontrunner's conservative credentials. A Heston, Kansas police officer being hailed as a hero for stopping a series of shootings. The officer gunning down a man who stormed the factory where he worked. The gunman killed three people and wounded 14 others. And U.S. officials say the Pentagon has launched a newly aggressive campaign of cyber attacks against Islamic State. And Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Sounds like you and uh, Mike sometimes. I, I was going to ask you if the debate's more painful on radio or TV. I'll let John Tucker uh, <laughs> decide. Uh, oil lifts 33-43 on West Texas Intermediate. 
We are with Robert Armatz. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by your Tri-State BMW centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com. At BMW, they make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine. 